Okay, so top 10 sins and struggles. This is lesson number three in the, uh, in the series. In our countdown of top 10 sins and struggles, we continue this week. So number 10 was laziness, number nine was anger, and tonight, coming in at number eight, tied for number eight, cursing and gossiping. It's interesting that these uh, two are tied uh, at number eight. Uh, because they're both sins of the tongue. You know, just, I don't know, it just kind of worked out that way, but uh, uh, same number of people, almost the same number of people listed this as a, as a problem, so it comes in at the number eight spot. So tonight's lesson we're going to discuss both of these very different sins, but that come from the same source. So let's talk about swearing, cursing, get a definition here. Different types of, uh, different types of swearing. Of course, uh, swearing as in taking an oath, you know, oath of citizenship. When I became an American citizen, took the oath of citizenship. Um, or when you go to court, take an oath, tell the truth. Uh, in the Bible, uh, an oath between uh, two people, uh, not an oath between two people in marriage in the Bible, but I meant an oath between two people. An example, Abimelech swears not to harm Abraham, you know, took an oath, Genesis 2.22. Of course, Jesus, this type of you know, activity here, taking oath, Jesus said to uh, use lightly. Let your yes be yes, let your no be no. You know. uh, yes, you can acknowledge, yes, I am telling the truth. You know, I swear I am telling the truth, but I mean, let your yes be yes, let your no be no. No big, you know. Uh, beyond that uh, is trouble. And then there's swearing uh, as in profanity. And this is, of course, the sin that we're talking about. We're talking about the sin of profanity. Um, using words um, of a sacred nature irreverently, using God's name or religious things or sacred ideas, doing this irreverently. Interesting to note in Quebec, you know, where Lisa and I come from, in the French language in Quebec, not in the French, not the French that they speak in Paris or Belgium or Switzerland or, or in various countries in Africa or in the Middle East, only in Quebec, in that French, the most common curse words are words for objects that are used in the Catholic Mass. So you know, you know the unleavened bread that we, you know, when we take communion? Well, you know, in, in Catholicism, when they take communion, they take only the bread, and the bread is kind of pressed down, and it's like it's a little wafer, and uh, it's called a host. And in French, a host is un hostie. Well, one of the popular swear words in French is hostie. You know, somebody uh, you know, scores a goal on your team, swear word is host. Um, in the mass on the altar, there is what they call a tabernacle, and it's inside this container called a tabernacle that they place the chalice, that, the chalice is the container that has the wine, and the other container that has the hosts. And since, because, now we're really getting far afield here, but uh, because these things, you know, because of transubstantiation, because these elements have now become the actual body and blood of of Christ you know, in, in, in Catholic theology, when they're not being used, they're inside this tabernacle. Do you 
During the mass, the priest will open the tabernacle and take these two things out and he'll bless them and so on and so forth. Okay? Well, the tabernacle in French, un tabernacle, that's a swear word. When a guy is really upset and you know, hits his finger with the hammer, oh, tabernacle, that's a swear word. So the use, the use not only of God's name, but the use of religious objects or objects that have religious significance. Again, sacred ideas, to use these things irreverently, this is swearing. Of course, the use of coarse or vulgar language, we know the F word, all that kind of stuff. You know, what is that? You know, is that, well, that's coarse. It's, it's swearing. It's, it's beneath what we ought to be as Christians. Big question, why do people do this? Some ideas. Swearing in public and in the media is a common thing now. I mean, you know, we, Lisa and I say, hey, let's, let's rent a movie from uh, Redbox. So we go online, you know, and I, oh, this is a comedy, you know, R. Okay, a family movie, R. Action movie, R. Why? Pervasive language. And sometimes they really warn you, pervasive language throughout, in other words, from beginning to end. So I get it if it's a gangster movie or something, or you know, with a lot of bad guys, because bad guys, you know, they, they swear. But a comedy, a romantic comedy, <laughs> R, because of language. Why would a romantic comedy have to be R? But unfortunately, in our society, it is. Up until 1939, you, know, you were not allowed to use a curse word in a movie. We know this, a common trivia thing. The first movie uh, to use a curse word was Gone with the Wind, absolutely. You used the D word in, uh, in, those, in that time. That was just unheard of. Notice they put it right at the end of the movie. You know, so the uh, movie is about four hours long. Maybe the, maybe the, uh, you know, the censors <laughs> got bored and didn't listen to the very last frame. But anyways, um, of course, um, the rise of this type of behavior is a sign of uh, social anger, frustration in people, general selfish attitude of the 70s and 80s. Swearing is the, um, the ultimate sign of contempt for others. When you tell somebody to, you know, that's, a, that's, a sign of, that's an ultimate sign of, of contempt. Psychologists tell us that swearing and cursing many times is a sign of personal insecurity. It's a way of calling attention to oneself, a self many times that you don't like very much. And it's evident, of course, in a lot of the music, especially you know, rap music, the angry nature of this music. You know, it's angry music and the, the words and the language that is used inside of it, it's defiant and so on and so forth. They give a lot of justification for it, so on and so forth, and that's fine, I want to explore that. I'm just saying it's a phenomenon in our culture that even music has cursing in it. Uh, in many of us, it is a warning, actually, uh, that we're beginning to lack self-control. Most of us swear when we are angry, but some of us, we get angry for no reason at all. We swear all the time. Our problem isn't swearing in those cases. Our problem is our temper. It's not the swearing we got to get a hold of. It's our temper we got to get a hold of. Swearing is the kind of byproduct. What does the Bible teach on this subject? Although there are a lot of 
you know, a lot of bad language in our society. It's not a new problem. Not a new problem. Both the Old Testament and of course the New Testament, Jesus, talked about it as did His apostles. We read, for example, in Deuteronomy 5.11, it says, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not leave him unpunished who takes His name in vain. So this is to protect the integrity of God's name. His name, if you wish, represents His essence. And to, vile his, to revile His name is to revile His essence. In other words, it's personal. You know, people use God's name you know, thinking, you, know, you would never think if the guy is standing next to you and uh, his, his mother's name is Martha, you know, and you started using Martha's name in vain, you know, that, that guy might take it personally. You see what I'm saying? But sometimes we, people will use God's name in vain thinking He won't take it personally. But He does take it personally. How do we know? He's made a specific point of telling us this in, um, in His word. And Matthew chapter 12, 34, 35, 6 and 7 says, you brood of vipers, just as Jesus speaking, you brood of vipers, how can you being evil speak what is good? For the mouth speaks out of that, uh, of that which uh, fills the heart. The good man brings out of his good treasure what is good, and the evil man brings out of his evil treasure what is evil. But I tell you that every careless word that people speak, they shall give an accounting for it in the day of judgment, for by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. So what comes out of your mouth, Jesus says, is an indication of what is inside of you. you know, sometimes people make excuses for vulgar or angry people that maybe they're related to and saying, oh, don't, don't worry about what he's saying or you know, what he's, all the things coming out of his mouth, because down deep inside he's really a good guy. No. No. If all kinds of trash is coming out of his mouth, where do you think that's coming from? That's coming from down deep inside. Liars speak lies, impure speak impurities, haters of God swear, and good men and women speak truth in clear and encouraging words. Jesus says everything you've said will be known and judged by God, not just your curse words, obviously, everything you've said. Why do you think that we confess Christ before baptism out loud? You know, God is going to judge you based on what you've said. Thankfully for Christians, He's going to, base, he's going to uh, judge you based on that confession. And only this will be revealed about you. The rest will be forgiven. I thank God that I'm a Christian. I thank God that I'm a Christian because I sure wouldn't want Him to reveal to everyone all the things that I have said in my life. And I, I, think, you know, I think I could get an amen from people about that. Not just for swearing, but you know, the things we've said that are just wrong. You know? So I'm glad in the end, the only, the only words that will be attributed to me will be the words of November something or other, 1977, when I said, I believe Jesus is the Son of God. And based on those words, I was baptized. Those are the only words that will be attributed to me that count for something. 
Ephesians chapter four, let's look at another verse, says, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Don't allow useless words to come out of your mouth. And of course, swearing, cursing, gossip, lies, slander. We'll talk about gossip a little later. Paul is saying these things have no value. They produce nothing positive. So they shouldn't, be, they shouldn't even be uttered. On the contrary, the words you utter should have value. And you know they have value because at the moment you say them, they build up the people that you are that you are with. He says in verse 30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Indicates here that worthless speech grieves or makes sorrowful the Spirit of God that lives within each Christian. And also because there's, we're not making an adequate witness of who lives within us. Have you as parents ever said to your children when they said something, where does that come from? Where'd you get that? Or even when they're very small, you know, oh, they're happy to go to school or something, and one day they come home with a word that has never been uttered in your home, and all of a sudden, bloop, and you're first, it, right? As a mom or dad, you're saying, you look at each other, mom and dad, and they say, where did he get that? Yeah, right. Our family is not worthy of that or that rather is not worthy of our family. That, you know, how many times have you said, we didn't raise you that way. That's not the way you were raised. That's not the way we taught you to speak. Well, Paul is kind of saying, you know, the spirit inside of us is saying, hey, that's, that's you talking, that's not me. That's not me talking. So useless speech, which is what swearing is, essentially has a destructive effect on everybody, yourself and your self-respect, others in contempt, the Holy Spirit of God in offense. Rather, show who you really are with your speech, building others up, revealing, not hiding, the Spirit of God within you by the things that come out of your, out of your mouth. And then James, of course, warns against the dangers of the tongue and why we should control it. Let's look at James, what he says. We're doing a quick survey here because we've got to kind of squeeze both these ideas in this uh, brief lesson. James says, for we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body as well. So everybody sins with the tongue. It's a common sin. Uh, it's a deadly sin. Verse three to five, now if we put the bits into the horse's mouth so that they will obey us, we direct their entire body as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so great and are driven by strong winds, are still directed by a very small rudder wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. So also the tongue is a small part of the body and yet it boasts of great things. So here he gives an example of how small things can affect great things. Uh, horses, you know, the bits in their mouths, the ships, the small rudder, uh, the, uh, a spark can set a forest fire, a forest on fire. And then he goes on to talk about the tongue, you know, setting your whole life on fire. So that's okay, pointing out uh, you know, the problem and you know, how it manifests itself, some of the reasons. Uh, the solution, however, is what, you know, that's what this class is about. So what do we do about that? So we go back to James chapter three, 
And we read, beginning in verse seven this time, he says, for every species of beasts and birds, of reptiles and creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by the human race, but no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. And he says, from the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be this way. Does a fountain send out from the same opening both fresh and bitter water? Can a fig tree, my brethren, produce olives, or a vine produce figs, nor can salt water produce fresh? So bad language of all types exists in the world, yes, and we hear it all the time, yes. The solution, however, is for us not to add to it. We, you know, we can't eliminate the bad language. When I first became a Christian, my, you know, you're very sensitive to things, and I, I would say, hey, hey you know, watch your language, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I realized, are you kidding me? <laughs> the only language I needed to watch was mine. And that was the way that I could perhaps have an effect on, on other people. I remember traveling around, uh, um, uh, in different uh, places, you know, and, and recognizing, I, I, can't, I can't control other people's tongues. It's only by controlling mine that I can have some kind of influence. So in verses 7 to 12, James tells us that we have the choice of blessing or cursing, but only one instrument with which to do it, which is the tongue. So we need to learn to do one consistently because we cannot do both and be pleasing to God. You can't do that. So continuously producing that fresh water he's talking about from our fountains is difficult, but it's possible if we learn to do the following. Here's the point, here's the punchline. If we learn to do the following, it's a learned behavior. As swearing is a learned behavior. You learn these words, you hear them from other people and you use them. So a couple of things we need to learn. One, learn to control our temper. We need to find acceptable ways of expressing our passionate feelings, ways to dissipate negative energy caused by frustration and adversity instead of violent outbursts that include swearing. Like what, for example? Well, pray. If you're mad, pray. Weep, call out to God, sing. I remember Lisa and I, when the kids were very small, it was a long day and it took forever to get them all to bed and one thing after another, and finally exhausted, you know, 10 o'clock at night, we'd sit there and we were you know, feeling, I don't know, out of sorts, you know what I'm saying? And one thing that would always pull us back, uh, she or I would have the presence of mind, the presence of spirit and say, hey, let's sing. <laughs> okay and I'd pull out a songbook you know, that we had stolen or borrowed from the church, <laughs> and uh, we, would, we would sing. And, and you know, we didn't know how to sing parts or anything. You know. We would just sing. Okay, oh, that's a good one I like. Let's do that one. And then we'd, 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 we'd sing one where there were like four different parts and that we'd get like a, a verse and a half into it and we'd go, no, 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 let's go back to it. But the, just the singing you know, would, would just release all of that tension and so on and so forth. You know, it, was, it, was, it was marvelous. Run, exercise, take a shower, talk it out with God. I mean, it's okay to express negative feelings, but not by swearing. And, and, and psychologically, it doesn't do any good anyways. 
You can, you can get up and curse and swear about something that happened all you want. It doesn't help. Secondly, solution, again, change your habits. We need to consciously change our habits of speech and eliminate vocabulary which is vulgar and disrespectful. Um, I began to say before, I was driving around in, in Vermont once, we were on a trip or whatever, and I had a problem with, the, I don't know, a muffler or something. I stopped at a local little garage and a mechanic came out, nice guy, you know, and he, I said, I'm having a trouble with this, and he starts talking to me. And this gentleman had only one word in his vocabulary, and it was the F word, okay? And that was not free. It was the F word, but I mean, he used it as an adjective, as an adverb, as a preposition, as a noun, as a verb. It was everywhere. You know, it was like, stop, stop. And yet he was in a good mood. He was happy. He was trying to sell me his services. It's just that's the only word he knew how to embellish something. Something wasn't just, you know, I'll get your car running real well. No, for him it was, I'm going to get your car, you know, adjective well. <laughs> he had a habit, if you're losing the point I'm making, it was a habit with him. He wasn't being malicious, he wasn't trying to show, it was just a habit. Sexual and bathroom vocabulary, expected of adolescents but not of grown people. Euphemisms, oh dear, now I'm going to preach now. The substitution of a word or phrase for a less objectionable or offensive one. We do this all the time with God's name, G. What is G? Well, it's an euphemistic contraction of the name of Jesus. Oh, you're just saying that because you're the preacher. No, 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 no. Webster's New World Dictionary says G-E-E-G -E -E -G is, and I quote, a minced form of Jesus used in mild oaths. That's not a theological book, that's a dictionary. So we use it as an exclamation or we use it as an interjection. Gee, I didn't mean it. Or gosh, again another dictionary. Minced form of the word God used as a mild oath. Webster's unabridged dictionary says, again, not a theological, not a doctrinal, a dictionary. I mean, there's so, so many. Heavens, godly, for heaven's sake, gracious, my Lord. All of them mild oaths using euphemisms for God's name, for the holy things of God, for religious ideas that are religious in nature, spiritual in nature. Are, are we, and then of course, the number one thing today, O-M-G, exclamation mark, exclamation mark. Are we being uh, prudish, a little too fastidious? We thought it was strange, wasn't it, because Catholics in Quebec were using the religious objects in their mass, in their religious mass, as curse words, we're like, wow, what's with them? That's so strange. But is it any stranger that we use God's name, the name of the Lord, religious ideas and so on and so forth, but we just shave off a few letters and we use it in our common conversation? 
We may see this as being extreme. However, as Christians, our conduct and our speech should be far above the standards of the world. How else will our light shine brightly if we use the same language of the world? Another way to produce fresh water, avoid temptation. In order to produce good speech, we need to avoid people and situations that lead us into participating in dirty jokes and gossip and bad language. If we find ourselves in this situation, it requires true courage and conviction as well as self-discipline to change the course of a conversation that is going the wrong way. You know, we need to walk away. If someone comes up to me, rarely now, you know, it's very rare if, if it's the minister, you know, but when I, you know, if somebody didn't know me, and they would say to me, oh, I got a good joke for you. I go, oh yeah. Now it's a little bit, you know, I'm saying, oh, you know, maybe you shouldn't. <laughs> maybe you shouldn't. If you have to warn me that it's going to be dirty, maybe you shouldn't tell me it. Is that hard to do? Oh yeah, it's embarrassing. Because the reaction is, oh, oh, oh sorry. You know what I'm saying? You don't want to be that guy, but why? Don't drag me into your mud. Another way to produce fresh water. Acknowledge our failures. A lot of times we may hear this and say, you know, uh, I mean, a lot of times what I mean is what I've just talked about, about the kind of language we use, maybe it's like I'm asking, hey, let's, let's bring up the level here. You know, many may hear this and say, hey, nobody's going to tell me what to say. Or, well, you're just going too far. And that's okay for preacher's meetings, you, know, you guys, but not the rest of us. But we can't produce pure, clean, fresh water unless we understand and acknowledge that maybe we're wrong. And maybe we've been wrong for years on this matter. So we need to learn to say, you know, you know what, I've used bad language or offensive language and I apologize for it when you know, we've lost our temper or unwisely told a story that was vulgar or used crude language. I remember at our house the kids were very small and I mean, you know, sometimes you hit that crossroads. I hit that crossroads, I remember. I mean, you know, you got four little kids running around making us crazy, you know, and finally that something happened, you know, I just lost my temper and I kicked over the chair and I said, you know, blurted out two or three choice curse words and they just, they didn't escape. I just, I used them like a hammer to shut everybody up and it did. They were like, oh, and then Julia, <laughs> she's running in, Lise wasn't there, she was downstairs and so and Julia's tearing through the house saying, mommy, mommy, daddy used a bad word, daddy used a bad, <laughs> yeah. Daddy used a couple of bad words. And the hardest thing to do at that point was to, you know, after I, you know, Lise was wise enough to say, maybe you need to go out on the back porch and just you know, calm down a little bit and think this over. You know, I said, yes, I think you're right. And I just whew, let it go down a bit. And after a while, after supper, we, that was the quietest supper <laughs> we ever had at our house. You know, even the kids were saying, could you pass the salt please? Thank you, Daddy. You know, and it was... But after supper, we sat there and I apologized to my children. Daddy is sorry. That was language that was not right. 
I don't want you to use it. I shouldn't use it. I lost my temper and I should not have done that as well. Please forgive me. And oh yeah, yeah, for sure, are you kidding me? We want the happiness to come back. So if you're holding yourself to a standard where you know you're going to have to make it right, it makes you think twice about the kind of conduct that you're going to. So learning to acknowledge to God and others about our language or our poor language, sometimes the first step in gaining that self-control. One more, fly with the eagles. If you want to fly like an eagle, you know the old saying, don't hang around with the chickens. Develop friendships and habits that create this building atmosphere. Don't hang around with people who spend all their time complaining, gossiping, swearing. Find those who have pure water coming from their fountains and learn from them and drink from them. All right, so let's summarize this first part of the lesson tonight. So swearing is the use of coarse language, sacred names or concepts and euphemisms in our everyday conversation. Uh, people swear for various reasons, but usually because of frustration, lack of self-control, low self-esteem, many times ignorance, immaturity, poor training. And the Bible teaches what comes out of our mouths is an indication of what's in our hearts. So if you've got junk inside, junk's going to come out, right? And also that one way to purify our hearts is to guard carefully what comes out of our mouths because we'll be judged for this. My favorite passage on this, Psalm 141.3, set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. If you have a problem with you know, swearing, if that's an issue for you, my encouragement would be to memorize this here. Let this go in there. You know, upload this verse into your mind and into your heart and into your spirit and go to it often if this is the issue for you. All right, let's go to part two. We said we had a tie here. Let's talk about gossip, shall we? Uh, Butch Adams, mydailypause.org. Nice little website, it's got little, just little thoughts, you know, 30 seconds, takes 30 seconds to read. He says that, that gossip is a sin because it goes against the basic command to love our neighbor and our direct command from Jesus as Christians to especially love the brethren. Interesting thought. So what is gossip? Gossip is the revealing and sharing of negative things about others. The revealing and sharing of negative things about others. Why is it gossip? Well, it's gossip because it's done without that person's uh, 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 knowledge. It's done without that person's permission and usually, usually without confirmed facts. So speech is gossip when you reveal or share what you know is true concerning a negative thing about someone else. Speech is malicious gossip when what you share is based simply on rumor and innuendo and you mean to harm the other person. That's malicious gossip. Either way, gossip harms everybody involved. The source of the gossip betrays a confidence 
or is guilty of spreading a hurtful truth or a damaging lie about another. The carriers, I call them carriers, the carriers are hurt because they share in the original sin and they contribute to its amplification. You know, it was this big, you know, and then the next person, it gets to be that big, and then the third person, it's that big, they continue to amplify it. And then of course, the victim is hurt because whether the information is true or not, a negative thing is attributed to them which they will have to carry from now on, and it usually cannot be undone. So gossip, you know, that's a serious sin because it violates the basic command to love one another, and it does serious damage to a lot of people, and it's not easily repaired. So let's do the same you know, trajectory as we did last time, gossip in the Bible. At least three of the New Testament writers teach us about this sin, a, a sign that this was and continues to be a common problem even in the church. Because uh, Paul writes about it, Peter writes about it, James writes about it, imagine, they all write about it. So it must have been an issue. So quickly, Paul says, Ephesians 4, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve, there's the grieving of the Holy Spirit again, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor, and there it is, slander, be put away from you along with all malice. Note that Paul includes gossip, slander, in the same category as anger, maliciousness, wrath, bitterness, it's, all, it's in the same thing. And it's also interesting that in this verse the conjunction and is used to link all of these words suggesting that they are equal in their degree of wrongness and potential for harm. So Paul says that Christians should put this kind of speech away from themselves. Let's go to James. James chapter 4, he says, Do not speak against one another, brethren. He who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge of it. There's only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you who judge your neighbor? So gossip you know, has this element of judgment in it since as we pass along the news of the failings and foolishness of others, we also pass along a silent judgment of them as well. So in this context, James asks, who are you to judge another person by making known their weakness or criticizing them? Who put you in charge? Only God can judge, and why? Because He is without sin, because He knows the law perfectly, and because he knows the individual completely. So his judgment is fair and perfect. He knows everything. So criticism and the gossip that it usually is wrapped in tends to put the gossiper in the role of judge. That's the point here. A position only God has and a right and ability to fulfill. You, know, you think about it for a minute, even courtroom judges, they have to qualify for their positions. 
They're guided by laws and the rules of evidence so that they're not influenced by hearsay gossip <laughs> or rumors. You ever notice the lawyers jump up and say, I object, Your Honor, that's hearsay. In other words, that's gossip. Those aren't facts. That's not confirmed testimony. That's hearsay. That's gossip. So they're supposed to judge impartially according to proven facts. And the thing about gossip is it very rarely you know, is based on proven facts. And then Peter has something to say about it. In Peter, 1 Peter 2.1 he says, Therefore putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn babies long for the pure milk of the word so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. 1 Peter 2 verses 1 to 3. So Peter here echoes Paul's instruction to put aside the type of speech uh, you know, that uh, is offensive, but he also adds the idea that the reason we do these things is because we like it. We desire to hear and to traffic in the, uh, in the gossip because in verse 2 he says, like newborn babies long so the uh, long for, well, instead of longing for the gossip, you see what I'm saying? You ought to be longing for the word of God and what comes from the word of God. We, we know what that's like, right? The thing that stimulates us, somebody calls us up or somebody pulls us aside in church and says, come here, come here, I got a story for you. Have you heard about Gene? Oh, wait, 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 oh, wait, wait, wait. Yeah. We want, we want to be able to enjoy the trafficking and the exchange, that longing to get some secret news. In here, in the example I've just given you, both the speaker and the trafficker in the gossip, they're enjoying the experience. So the admonition that Peter gives here is to cultivate a desire not for the gossip, but a desire for the spiritual nourishment that comes from God's word. You know, just like babies are anxious for their mother's milk, he doesn't say mother's milk here, but when he says pure milk, what do you think he's talking about? You know, when babies desire the pure milk, they're wanting the breast, they're wanting mama's milk. So he's saying you ought to go for the pure milk, the pure milk of, of the word of God and not the toxic mix of gossip and hypocrisy and the envy that is often the motivating factor for gossip in the first place. You know, can't, you, can't you sense the streak of envy when someone says to you, hey, did you hear about you know, Betty? Yeah, she bought a new car, but her other car was only five years old. Must be nice being married to a lawyer. You know, don't you hear the envy you see in that type of conversation? Of course, the motivation for feeding on God's word, as Peter says, is the fact that it was through this word that we learned of Christ and His sacrifice for us. How can we accept and enjoy this gift that He's given us and at the same time enjoy the toxic gospel? You can't do both. Again, the solution, we need to move on here. Like every sin and bad habit, the solution and change requires effort and the practice of different kinds of speech. So here are a few new things to learn in order to deal with the sin of gossip. Number one, learn to apologize. In Proverbs 29, the writer says, a man's pride will bring him low, but a humble spirit will obtain honor. 
If you sin with your tongue, then repent with your tongue. Apologize to the one you've gossiped about, as well as the one you've drawn into sin by gossiping with. I guarantee you, you'll only do that one time. <laughs> you, you know, this will discourage the desire to receive or traffic in gossip in the future, and it'll be painful, but it will be effective in cultivating humility and it'll cut down on gossip in your own life. Somebody says, hey, yeah, I, I got news for you. Whoa, wait a minute, I remember what I had to do last time that I fell into this sin. Yeah, no, keep it to yourself. Do this a couple of times, I assure you that people will not want to share gossip with you. Number two, learn to hold your tongue. Proverbs 19, when there are many words, transgression is unavoidable, but he who restrains his lips is wise. And Proverbs 17, 28, even a fool when he, keeps his, uh, when he keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is considered prudent. You know, there's usually not much left to say if we eliminate what is untrue, what is exaggerated, what is distorted, unnecessary, coarse, repetitious, hurtful, and stupid. There's not a lot left to say. We, we don't always have to say everything that passes through our mind or report it to us by someone else. I mean, doing so is a kind of a form of pride. Uh, Proverbs 18.2 says, a fool does not delight in understanding, but only in revealing his own mind. So learn to filter what comes into our hearts and goes out of our mouths through the spiritual quality control provided for us by God's word. Paul says in Philippians 4, finally brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence, and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Notice that the reward for correctly filtering and processing the things that we hear or say or repeat, what's the reward? Peace. The exact opposite of what is produced by gossip. Gossip brings trouble and dissension. Number three, we're almost done. Learn to say the right thing at the right time. Proverbs says, the wise in heart will be called understanding, and sweetness of speech increases persuasiveness. Then in Proverbs 25 he says, like apples of gold in settings of silver is a word spoken in right circumstances. And so God has given us the ability to speak in order to praise Him, in order to express ourselves and communicate and bless one another. It takes time and practice but we need to consciously learn to do these things in a wise and gracious way. As Christians, we don't always have the opportunity to use our speech to confess Christ. But if our speech is coarse or foolish and trafficking in gossip, no one will take our witness seriously for the Lord when that moment comes. You see, not only God judges us for what comes out of our mouths, our brothers and sisters and non-believers, they also judge us for what comes out of our mouth. So summarizing, in closing, let me say that in my opinion, I think that the greatest danger concerning the sins of swearing and gossip is that many people think that these are just minor sins. They're just small vices. You know, everybody does it type thing. 
But James says of the tongue and its sins, so also the tongue is a small part of the body and yet it boasts of great things. See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. James didn't take this sin you know, lightly. So I point this out for those who have problems in these areas so that you'll take seriously the lesson about these sins tonight and make a, you know, a genuine effort at eliminating them from your lives because the reward, the reward which is peace is so great if you do it and the punishment for these things is also very awful if you don't. So I hope that You've been encouraged, instructed, motivated you know, to tackle some of the sins of the tongue that all of us, of course, me included, we have to deal with every single day. That's our lesson. We're down to number eight. Next week, number seven. I don't know if we should start a pool here, you know, which one is number seven, but appreciate your patience. We went a little bit long tonight. God bless you.